Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 43 of Sticks in the Six. I'm your host, Andrew Forbes, here with my co-host, Peter Barracchini. And, Peter, we're going to talk about possibly a new intro to the show. Uh, obviously, <laughs> Beach Game 7 and um, lots of hockey around around the, uh, around the world right now. Uh, history was made this week. But first, as always, how are you doing tonight, my friend? Nothing short of anything in the hockey world. Hockey never sleeps. Um, I'm doing good, man. Um, I was gonna say I'm still reeling and I'm still in pain. And you know, you know, as Lee fans, we know pain all too well. Um, yeah, this whole week has just been really hard to grapple with everything that's happened. Fans are going off the chains with comments and. Eb- burning jerseys and stuff like that. But you know what? Let's focus on the positives. So much good has happened in the last week or so. Um, And I think we should really highlight it. How are you doing, man? I'm doing wonderful. Um, Like you, it's been a week of recovery. Um, (laughs) Even with the expectation following the Game 6 loss, I kind of knew what was going to happen in Game 7. I mean, you give a lot of a lot of confidence to a guy like Carey Price and in a one game best of best of one you kind of know where you're going with that but uh you know the week's been good we had a great guest on for this episode uh in in Maple Leafs PA announcer Mike Ross we'll get to that in a little bit um but aside from that uh yeah it's been good weather uh starting to get outside and and the little guy is moving like crazy starting to walk so (laughs) It's always oh. a good uh, little update to throw on the show here for you guys. So he's going to be in those like little explorative stage, I guess, wandering around on his own kind of thing. Absolutely. And uh, <laughs> sk- skates by October is looking pretty good. Let's go. And if everything continues the way that it's been progressing right now, hey, I'm all for it because I've been looking forward to doing some traveling and going to see my family. So you know what? Let's get it going. Let's keep it at it. 2038 draft year, folks. Oakley Forbes, remember that name. (laughs) Writing down my scouting reports or getting my reports ready for that year. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We'll we'll kind of go back to our old format here. We're gonna we're gonna talk about some uh, hockey news from around the world first um, before we get into our Maple Leafs talk. But Mm -hmm. uh, as always, lots to talk about. I think uh, we'll start it off with Go Canada Go. The <laughs> World Championships gold medal for the Canadian team. What are your thoughts and takeaways from this one? Ooh, man, ah, this was crazy. And I was really, obviously, when you start off 0-3, you know, it's really tough to rally from that. But this was a crazy tournament for Team Canada. I mean... You look at the roster, not as strong as it is in teams past. Um, they, uh, given COVID situation, a lot of uh, players maybe want to spend more time with their family. It gives some of the younger, um, like rookies that are starting off their career, other lesser known players to get, you know, their name noticed um, in the tournament itself. And this was an this was an exciting tournament. I mean, the way that Great Britain played, Italy, Germany. 
um, Latvia. This is what we want. This is what we want. More competition in the global circuit. But to start off 0-3, to come back, make it to the quarterfinals, to beat Russia and beat U.S. in the quarter and semifinals, winning it in overtime with the Ottawa connection with Connor Brown and Nick Paul, the golden goal for him. Big moment for him. I know that he scored a goal in the 2015 World Junior Championship in Russia. I believe he scored the 2-0 goal or set up the 2-0 goal. I want to say he scored it, but this was a phenomenal win. This, this, and I mentioned on Twitter, this is a story that deserves kind of like a documentary or a miniseries. And this is something that I would love to watch. And also... Screw the shootouts because I want this three-on-three, 20-minute overtime, man. I, I I want to petition it to the NHL. Double IHF has got it. I want to see this happen over here. Yeah, I mean, you kind of nailed every single point uh, that there is to make. This team was made up of a bunch of misfits. It was kind of the, 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 the band of misfits that uh, got together and, mm-hmm. and were able to pull it all together. And it, it was salt. You know, it was a it was a piss and vinegar kind of kind of team. Um, you know, Connor Brown, Andrew Mangiapane, uh, Adam Henrique. You know, the list continues to go on and on. And I mean, you're talking about guys that maybe wouldn't have been the first choice. You know, for for most uh, world championships, but all of a sudden you got a guy like Connor Brown leading the tournament with 16 points in 10 games, and uh, you know. A, a fun little stat here from our our friend over at the Hockey News, Stephen Ellis. Connor Brown's 14 assists for Canada is second all time in the WIHF World's history and first oh, first over the past 30 years. So just kind of incredible the mark that he made. Um, obviously, you know the names for other teams as well. Just crazy. Connor Garland coming off a great year with Arizona. He finished second in tournament scoring for. For the U.S., Liam Kirk for Great Britain had seven goals in seven games and nine points overall. A uh, guy who I don't think gets enough uh, credit for what he he's able to do. Former Leaf Trevor Moore's there. Jason Robertson's coming off a great year in the you know playing playing for Dallas. Obviously, he stepped up for the U.S. as well. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's just been it, it was crazy what uh, what Canada was able to do. Obviously, starting the tournament off very poorly. Lure- uh, losing to a couple of, you know, lower end teams and, and being able to turn it around. And how much credit do you think goes to, um, you know, having a guy as experienced as they did behind the bench? Well, if this just proves that Gerard Gallant should, you know, get a coaching job as soon as possible, right? I mean, and he mentioned a really great quote. Um, I'm reading this off the score um, where it was, you know, in reference uh, from a post game from TSN. He said, I'm so proud of these guys. They never quit. And like you said, it was a tough, tough start for us. Um, We had a tough start because the team wasn't together. Finally, after 0-3, after their 0-3 start, we got to put the lines together. Mangiapani comes over. So once that happened, things started to click for us. And fortunately for us, we found a way to get into the crossover, into the playoffs. And then our team played the best hockey the last three games. Um, Yeah, 
just just that mentality right there but i mean he's giving credit to the players for rallying together but also for him to like keep motivating this team and never giving up um because let's face it when you're down 0-3 it really is tough to come back i mean we haven't seen that i don't remember seeing that ever i mean usually canada is still always at the top maybe just squeaks in but never starting the tournament 0-3 and for them to come back the way they did Everyone deserves credit. And you look at players like Troy Stetcher, um, you know, Gabe Velarde had a pretty good tournament. Maxime Comtois, Owen Power um, really shined. And uh, I mean, everyone was considering him the unanimous number one overall pick. I think he solidified that with this tournament with the way that he was moving the play forward, his defensive mindset, breaking up plays. I mean, he's not going to put up a lot of points, but he's going to be a really steady two-way stalwart in the NHL. So this was a perfect opportunity for him to steal that. And 18 years old, nonetheless. So a lot of players stepped up for them. A lot of players did the job. Darcy Kemper looked shaky, but he held it together um, as the tournament progressed. And this is why he's like, you know, still one of the best, one of the top goalies in this league. Um, just absolutely phenomenal for Team Canada, despite the rough start. No, I mean, can't say anything bad, really. Yeah. And like you said, a lot of young guys getting an opportunity to play. Gregory Hoffman obviously was there. Anton Lundell was there. You mm-hmm. mentioned Owen Power. Uh, Lucas Reichel getting the opportunity to play for Germany as well. And I mentioned Cider. Morris Cider. Um, And I I mentioned Liam Kirk as well. Um, So a great opportunity for some of these young guys to get a little extra hockey in and and on a global global spectrum as well. So um, hell of a tournament. Obviously, we, we, you know, being in Canada, love the fact that, you know, Canada was able to battle back and take that gold Um, and and kudos and shout out to the guys, um, you know, for grinding it out and and finding Mm -hmm. a way to get it done. So um on top of that i want to before we jump over to nhl news i want to talk about uh history being made at the ohl draft and i was big on this one uh in the 15th round i believe 276th overall uh taya curry became the first female to be taken in the ohl priority selection draft um she was obviously taken by the sarnia sting um, and, and the one thing I mentioned in a tweet prior to her being selected was that I hope that a team that takes her is looking to develop her and play her if that's what she wants to do. Obviously, um, there's a lot of discussion surrounding her wanting to go the NCAA route um, mm-hmm. and, and, and doing what's best for her career, which, you know, all, all, all the power to her. Um, but what a great opportunity for her not only to, uh, you know, witness the call to her letting her know that she'd been selected but just the fact that you know she she got received a text from shannon sabados um you know she's from from out this way so park hill ontario um just incredible what uh, what she's been able to do and and uh you know kind of shines a light on on there is there are steps being taken and this is such a great opportunity for her regardless of whether she ends up going to sarnia or not um just, just what a what a moment for the OHL, what a moment for Taya Curry, and uh, what a moment for for women in sports. Absolutely, I mean, absolutely amazing news to hear, nonetheless. Um, you know, first thing I, what I saw was, you know, just congratulations to her. I mean, this is history in the making, and she broke a major barrier. And again, huge congratulations to her, and wish her nothing but the best. And like you said. 
Um, whether she goes the college route or she goes to the OHL, I have no doubt that she's going to be a dominant player in that. Um, uh, just to clarify, she uh, from Stephen Ellis at the Hockey News taken 267th overall. Um, but looking at the scouting report from the Hockey News article from Stephen, um, an OHL scout had nothing but great praise for her, um, saying that her quickness is a huge aspect of her game. She's a small goalie, so she needs to use her reflexes more to compensate, and it works. She's a true battler that never gives up on a play, hard to beat on a breakaway. Um, I mean, that's that again, he, he, he said it best, you know. Small in size, but the reflexes and the mobility just speaks volumes. And the fact that she's able to have that, you know, mentality where she's a- always able to battle is is something that you always want to see in a goalie. And she does that perfectly. And this is from one of her um, chief, uh, uh, Elgin Middlesex Chiefs uh, teammates, uh, Easton Cowan, in an article from Lucas Weiss. By the way, shout out to Lucas Weiss on this fantastic article on Taya Curry from the Toronto Star. Um, fantastic writer as well. Um, Easton said she must have had like 50 saves in uh, a game. I believe it was in overtime against the Junior Canadians way back. Yes. Um, she's standing on her head against tough guys who went uh, first round this year, like Carson Reckhoff. Uh, she's played in so many big games and rises to the atmosphere. Um, if this isn't the, if this isn't the kind of mentality that you want on a CA on an OHL team, you gotta draft it. Get this mentality in, and if they play and it and again, like you said, if they if the plan is to draft the and develop her and get her into games, so be it. Let's get this going. I want to see her play some OHL games because I know she's going to be phenomenal in that. Yeah, and I totally butchered it. It was the 14th round, 267th overall, as you said. A little, little <laughs> bit of a uh, little minor dyslexia there when it comes to to the little numbers. Hiccup. But, little um, <laughs> yeah, thank you for catching that. Um, it is crazy because Men- Menon Rayum also uh, congratulated Taya yes. on Twitter. Huge, huge, huge moment. Um, Shannon Sabados obviously tweeted that out as well. Uh, but yeah, it's just it it's it it really is a great moment for her. It's a great moment for the OHL, and, and like I said, hopefully that the Sarnia Sting did this um, in 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 hoping to develop her, bring her on board, and and get her some OHL action because mm-hmm. I think this is a great opportunity to to really grow the game, to create a a role model out of somebody who, you know may have not gotten this opportunity or certainly would not have gotten this opportunity even, you know, two years ago, five years ago. So this is really incredible. Um, And unfortunately to kind of go off of that, it really brings out the, uh, the ignorance of a lot of hockey fans as well Mm -hmm. and showing us that there is still a lot of room to grow, but um, one, one thing that uh, we did see is, is uh, some guy on HF boards talking about, um, you know, crashing the net and how she's going to be able to stand up against, uh, you know, a, a bigger, a much bigger uh, male player crashing that. And let me put it this way. That was probably the most ignorant, idiotic comment I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah. Um, and the fact that you even think that it's okay to crash the net period um, really does drive me nuts because I mean, that's against the rules regardless. So um, 
yeah, it shouldn't matter who who's in net and what 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 gender they are. And, and it, I mean, it just it shows the complete ignorance of some of the some of the people still that watch the game. Yeah, and like you said it best. I don't need to rehash anything. And even the comments in regards to that uh, tweet um, or the screen caps by the tweet, the comments in relation to that, it, it just speaks volumes that you know. Yeah, people are are ignorant, and there's uh, it, it's disappointing to see that we're still at this point. But even looking at the comments, everyone is like in support of her, and you know what? This just adds more fuel uh, to the fire. Um, just let let her let her prove the doubters wrong, and this is why you give her that chance. Because that if she comes out and she has a great start or great performances in the OHL, this guy's gonna look stupid. Simple as that. I, I, I. She can only go off from here, and I hope nothing but the best for her, and hope that she goes out there and gives it her all. Simple as that. Put people like that in in their place. Yeah, absolutely, Taya. Uh, congratulations and. Us here at Sticks in the Six are are mm-hmm. very happy and hope that we get an opportunity to see you play in the OHL for the Sarnia Sting. Um, with that, let's jump right over to the NHL and a lot to talk about uh, over the past week. Um, let's start off with Marco Rossi, who obviously had his a very, um, you know, kind of debilitating battle with COVID-19. Uh, stepped on the ice and skated for the first time. And as a proud Papa would, uh, his dad tweeted out a video of him stepping on the ice, taking some shots. And and what a great moment for Marco Rossi, who hopefully will get back into game shape and be able to, you know, make a an appearance in the NHL at at, at a very soon, soon time. Because, um, you know, obviously a guy that has a lot of uh, potential, a guy that uh, was drafted very high by the Minnesota Wild. And, uh, you know, unfortunately what happened to him was was something far out of his control. So um, that was very good news to see Marco Rossi stepping on the ice. Yeah, and we talked about his recovery and scare previously before. Um, The fact that he's on the ice right now, um, I'm assuming I, I would assume that he would want to be out there as soon as possible. But given the fact that he had major complications in battling the virus and overcoming it afterwards, be I, having those, you know, bong hauler symptoms and still trying to recover. The fact that he's skating is a great sign for him because let's face it. I want to see this guy in a Minnesota wild game, it, 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 sorry, Jersey and see him play with, you know, Kirill Kaprizov, uh, Kaprizov, um, all the other young talent coming up the Minnesota Wild pipeline. This year was a, was a very fantastic year, and I honestly think that if he was healthy, Marco Rossi would have, you know, pushed and battled for a spot on the scene. I would have thought that he would crack it and see regular minutes. And given his status as, like, you know, a really solid playmaker, I mean, yeah, we talk about size, but his size does not affect him at all. And he goes out there and he plays a bigger game than what, you know, his uh, height suggests. Very solid puck moving player. Um, I'm I, I'm just in shock and awe that he's able to come back and, you know, he's really progressing right now. This is what you want to see. And 
and again, we talked about it multiple times before. You don't want to see this. It is real. He's a living embodiment that, you know, even if you're an athlete, he can still take you down big time. And the fact that he's back is just a really great sign. Because, again, I know, I, I especially all the Wild fans, they were excited for that pick. And I want to see this guy play no matter what. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, if you haven't seen it, seen them already, this guy's tree trunk legs oh, man. are, like, absolutely incredible. For anybody who skates... These are these things could they're machines. They could carry you anywhere you need to go. <laughs> An absolute unbelievable uh, specimen when it comes to you know building that muscle in those legs and and uh, yeah, just incredible. But um, yeah, great to see him back. Hopefully, this is the just the beginning uh, of his road to recovery. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, great moment for him, great moment for Minnesota, great moment for his family, and and like I said, hopefully it's just the beginning. I remember um, seeing that picture online, and it seems like every day for him is leg day, because man, those legs are, man, yeah, he he's just a tank. No wonder he's so quick and fast on his feet. An absolute bus, just an absolute bus. <laughs> um, Definitely. Yeah, no, just incredible. Um, Going from there, obviously, we talk about prospects in the draft. The Buffalo Sabres won the draft lottery and will get the number one pick. And there is so much talk, Peter, about what is going to happen. One with the Buffalo pick, two with Jack Eichel, Mm -hmm. and three with the Buffalo Sabres in general. That is just an absolute (laughs) mess down in Buffalo. The hat trick. The hat trick. We, I mean, we've shit all over the Buffalo Sabres before, and I don't want to do it on a continuous basis, but this could not possibly have gone better for the Buffalo Sabres, who, one, are trying to, you know, talk Jack Eichel into staying in Buffalo because we all know there's a little bit of frustration between him and the team regarding his recovery from, from his latest injury. Um, but two, trying to build a, a competitive team. You know, you're talking about a franchise that hasn't made the playoffs in, in, uh, in about ten years. Um, so now, now you've got a number one pick. You have Rasmus Dahlin, who was a number one pick. You have Jack Eichel. Um, you have guys like Rasmus Ristolainen. You have uh, Sam Reinhart. You have what, let's call it the beginning of of what you need. It's filling in those parts, and and what hurts them, and we've talked about this before, is the Jeff Skinner deal. Mm -hmm. That is a big, big piece that that locks them up for a long, long time. So my question to you, if you're Buffalo, who do you take or what do you do with the first overall pick at the 2021 NHL draft? Yeah, it's it's difficult, and you mentioned you you mentioned a lot of great, I mean, interesting points. I mean, Jack Eichel, you what? Are they going to appease him and try and get him back on good terms with the team, or are they going to move him? Because I honestly think that the rumors are still going to fly, and maybe he does get moved. Because we talked about his injury before and how they wanted to go a different route that Jack wanted, and ultimately, you know, Jack. And his team didn't see eye to eye. Simple as that. Um, 
I do want to bring up one other prospect, R2 Rootsalainen. He's looking fantastic and a good prospect in development. So I'm hoping that maybe, you know, they got another good player coming up in the wings at some point. Yeah. Uh, Sam Reinhardt and Rasmus Rootsalainen also voiced their displeasure as well. Um, not, not only that, aside from Jeff Skinner, you also still have Kyle Pozo, $6 million for another two years after this one for 2021, 22, and 22, 23. Yeah, a lot of big questions. Um, with the first pick, I mean, this is the biggest positive to come out of Buffalo all year. And it's a good draft, but it's not like the 2015 draft where they were able to get a franchise centerman in Jack Eichel. Now, do you go with Owen Power, who is the consensus number one at this point right now? And like I said at the top of the show when talking about Team Canada, he looked really good. He cemented the spot for me as a number one pick. Or do you go with Matthew Beniers and get sort of a replacement with them because then you would have both him and Dylan Cousins down the middle because I mean Cousins could play wing if you have Beneers and Cousins on one line as center and wing that's a pretty good combination right there the options are endless I do think that maybe they do go best player available and I think maybe that would be Owen Power I wouldn't be shocked if they went with Beniers because I think he would be a really good starting piece for a team like Seattle. Because what better way to do than to get like a centerman that's possibly going in the direction as possibly like Jonathan Taze, as uh, Matthew Zader explained in his draft profile of him, which I can see the comparisons really. Maybe not a 80, 90 point guy, but a really steady 60, 70, two-way centerman. So... Again, a lot of options here. I'm I'm up in the air. I'm curious to hear what you're going to say. So uh, you, you mentioned a little bit as well. We we did forget to mention Dylan Cousins. We did forget to mention Kate, um, Casey Middlestad. Uh, we did mm-hmm. forget to mention um, Tage Thompson. As well. Jack Quinn, Tage Thompson. Um, they, so they, they do have a lot of potential in the pipeline. It's just about developing, right. And, mm-hmm. and we've seen with Casey Middlestad's, uh, maybe not developed in, in exactly the right way. That said, I think we were all kind of leaning that way with, with Sam Reinhardt at the beginning of his career. And he's turned into a relatively decent player as well. Um, that said, uh, I, you know, my rankings came out, my top 128 uh, for May, and I, I had Matty Beneers at number one. Um, and, and I really, truly believe that with the size and skill and, and the, the, the straight-up ability that he had, that he was a very strong candidate for the number one pick. Um, now, we did see him go into the boards fairly hard at the uh, mm-hmm. the World Championships. Uh for anybody who hasn't seen it, they'll look it up. You'll, I mean, it's easy to find. The ankle just twisted funny underneath him. Yeah. Um, so I don't know how much that'll play into where he goes in the draft. Um, and I'm hearing, I'm hearing the call for Owen Power. I really am at number mm-hmm. one. I, I think his tournament at the at the World Championship, he just he was an absolute pleasure to watch. Um, did everything that was asked of him. Um, 
was playing against men and, and really had an opportunity to showcase what he's able to do as a defenseman. Now, my question, and it's not really posed to you, rather it's it, it's more my thinking, it's just something that continually runs through my head, is that if you're the Buffalo Sabres and you have you know, Rasmus Dahlin, if you draft Owen Power, what are you saying to Jack Eichel? Mm-hmm. Because my my thinking is that as a franchise right now, they need scoring. They need scoring. They need to get something done um, up front. Um, they have Uko Pekka-Lukanen uh, coming up uh, in, in goal. Linus Olmark's not going to be your guy forever. Is is am I am I wrong in thinking that to have two star defensemen with no scoring doesn't help your franchise at all, or is this a is this a franchise that could potentially go out on the free agent market and try and bring somebody in, like they did this year with Taylor Hall and Eric Stahl, and f- try and get it done through free agency? And we've seen it on Toronto's. Uh, for for years, Toronto tried to bring in the big free agents, uh, Alex McGillney. Um, you know, we had Gary Roberts, Steve Thomas, all past their prime um, to to some extent. Jason Allison, I'll I'll, I'll bring that one up. Uh, yeah. Eric Lindros, like so for so many years, we brought in the guys that were on the tail end of their careers without having those star players up front in your top six. Now with is Buffalo in the same situation where Jack Eichel's there? They're trying so hard to develop some of the guys they have in their in their pipeline, but it's not going as well as planned. And and I feel if you if you draft Owen Power, not only do you not get the scoring you need, but if Eichel does choose to leave, or or does choose to request a trade, now you don't have that replacement anymore either. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's where I'm thinking. And and I'm not strictly saying Matty Beniers. William Eklund is a great option as well. Yes. Um, he's a guy that can put the puck in the net. A, a, really, just a pure shot um, among among some of the best. Um, but that's that's kind of where I'm leaning. I'm I'm leaning towards a forward for the Buffalo Sabers, even though I do believe Owen Power may have solidified himself as the number one option when it comes to best player available yeah that is a fair question i i you even mentioned it on our uh, the draft ranking show when we were dissecting your uh list and that is a fair point because let's face it um if jack eichel moves on and you draft on power you really don't have anyone granted dylan cousins could be that sentiment for the future i mean we saw how well he played at the world juniors but again I'm looking at this. Their drafting and developing is just awful. And I did a mock draft, and I seeing that the Buffalo Sabres have no scouts in W in the WHL or even in Russia, it's very concerning that in two big leagues you don't have scouts to do that kind of developing or do that analysis for you to try and help bring in more players and help build that prospect pool because you're at a disadvantage. And the fact that, you know, 
I mean, Jack Eichel is a superior talent. He didn't need a whole lot of developing. He came into his own, and he's been lights out for the Sabres. But seeing with players like Casey Middlestat, Rasmus uh, Darlene's kind of struggling, despite the fact him being a top two-way talent. Um, Tage Thompson even struggling. Granted, he was a uh, St. Louis Blues draft pick. Still not meeting expectations in that trade with Ryan O'Reilly. Um, if you, if he, if Jack Eichel decides to stay and they draft Owen Power and then he leaves right after this, then you squander that opportunity because you failed to develop your prospects properly. And I hope this isn't the case, whether they drop Power or Beneers, because they need to do some retooling and it starts with their scouting, developing and prospect department. Yeah, no, it'd be an absolute waste. And I mean, that's in saying that. You know, they haven't already wasted Middlestad and Thompson and, and, and Cousins like and Darlene. Like these are these are guys that are, are gonna very quickly approach their prime. Um and, and guys like Jack Eichel have already approached their prime. And I feel like I, I like I said, I hate to I hate to crap all over the, the Sabres again, but I feel like they're wasting guys prime when they when they're playing with the Buffalo Sabres. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just there's opportunity for some star players to to make a career, and this is a Sabres team that just the the development's not there, and and that's that's not so much a criticism at the management team in Buffalo so much as it's a criticism of you know the lower end teams in that organization finding a way to develop these guys properly to make them NHL ready to 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 give them that time that confidence to come up and actually play their game and the hope is that Cousins has that coming off the world juniors he had yeah but you're talking about a guy who was on a Canadian team that had how many first round NHL draft picks um True. is he a guy that can carry a franchise i don't know i i, I don't know if he's that guy to carry a franchise entirely on his shoulders mm-hmm. yeah no definitely and i mean he did have a solid tournament i mean he finished behind trevor zegers in tournament scoring but and let's also uh face reality kevin adams came into this position it like with a mess already on his top of his plate tried to make some moves with taylor hall and again it didn't work out um so yeah, it's a tough situation in Buffalo. Again, don't want to beat them down again too much because we've we've expressed our displeasure and how they deserve better. But just overall, this draft lottery could mean the start of something special for them and hopefully turn the misfortune around. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and uh, fingers crossed they, they do what's best for the franchise and Kevin Adams is able to, uh, you know, put some pieces back together and, and finding finding a way to, to make this the Sabres team legitimate again um, mm-hmm. for his sake for Jack Eichel's sake and for the sake of the fans who who definitely deserve it so um, jumping away from that I, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk some playoff hockey before we get to our, our disappointing end of the year for the Leafs <laughs> um, but the biggest note right now is obviously the Mark Shifley hit on Jake Evans. And 
uh, and the, kind of the fallout that came with it. Um, obviously, anybody who's seen it, and if you haven't seen it, I mean, definitely check it out because it, it's a perfect example of what not to do uh, yeah. when you're playing the game of hockey. And it, this is a this is a great example of, you know, how fighting does have a place in the game because, let's be honest, if this hit happened and there was no fighting allowed in the game... Um, yeah, it, it just it wouldn't look well. It, lo- it wouldn't look good. Um, mm-hmm. Mark Shifley traveled, I think they said 190 feet, and in my opinion, left his feet in hitting Jake Evans after Evans put the puck into the empty net in Game One of their series. Um, the video is hard to watch especially if you watch in slow-mo from a side angle. You can yeah. see Evan's head bounce back and forward twice before hitting the ice. Um, it was clear that he was out cold before he even hit the ice. And he lay there motionless afterwards um, for for a little while. Uh, while his opponent, Nick Ehlers, tried to shield him from the yeah. huddle of players that had... Uh, congregated around him um and I, I don't know if you saw this peter but the look on shifley's face after after the hit and after the scrum and the wide-eyed wires crossed look that was coming out of his face mm-hmm. it was almost like he wasn't there it was almost yeah. like emotion had taken over him and he made the hit based solely on a peak in 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 some of the most testosterone driven heat of the moment kind of mentality that anyone could ever get into mm-hmm. and that's like that's where i was at when i looked at the 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 his eyes at following that hit and for for Evans, obviously, you know he's he's conscious. Uh, he was conscious at following the game. He was talking, um, so all good signs. Um, Shifley, the outcome four game suspension. Uh, the likelihood that they will make it to a game six now is is very much up in the air. With with uh, Montreal now leading the series three nothing as we record on Sunday night, but. I, I don't know. I, I really don't know what to say about it because the hit was deserving of a suspension. Um, I do feel four games for a guy who doesn't have a history, four playoff games, we know that kind of equals out to eight to ten regular season games. Yeah. It's a big it's a big punishment for a guy like Mark Shifley, a star player who doesn't have a history of being suspended. Yeah. And, yeah, I just, I mean, I'm kind of at a loss. I'm kind of at a loss on this one. I mean, you said it best, like, you could tell that when it happened afterwards, you realize, he realized that he did something wrong. I mean, he was just like, wait, did that actually just happen? Even when he went off the ice and he came back and he saw what was unfolding, you could see the concern on his face. But it still doesn't excuse the fact that what he did made absolutely no sense. And I honestly don't know what he was thinking. Hit was high, may not have been the head, may have not have been the head main point of contact. It looked like, you know, like the collarbone maybe got him in the chin. 
but Shifley turned on the Jets from his own end all the way to Montreal's end, took the body. I Again, does not make any sense. In that situation, there was no way you were going to catch up to that to try and like at least go and play the puck. Jake Evans curled around, like backhands it or curls around, wraps around in, uh, into the empty net. Puck was already in the net. There's no way he could play that puck. And then he just goes in and steamrolls him. It was an awful hit and a poor decision on his part. And like I said, you see what that he realized that what he did was absolutely wrong. And he and again, the shock and emotion in his eyes said it all. Honestly, I like fans were up in an uproar after that game. I thought that based on the impact, I thought it did, I thought he should have been gone the whole the rest of the series. And it looks like maybe that may happen because the Habs have a chance to sweep the Jets. But I think he deserved the punishment. I would, uh, like I said, I was hoping he'd be gone for the series after seeing Evans get stretched off. The fact that he got four games, I was actually surprised because given the fact that we we know the NHL is very inconsistent with handing out suspensions. I mean, there were reports that Peros was you know contemplating about that seven game suspension hit on Brandon Carlo and Tom Wilson did nothing with the the incident that unfolded with the New York Rangers. I get it that he did not have a history, but with plays like that, you don't want to see that. That's the type of stuff that you don't want in this game. I don't care if he has a hit. This may sound harsh. I don't care if he has a history. That come out flying and lay down the hammer. I think that was warranted. I They actually did something right for once, in my opinion. And... Like, I, I, again, I'm still, I just want to figure out that maybe he, maybe he was trying to make a play and stop the puck. I don't know. It did not look like that at all. So just four games, honestly, I was actually, again, surprised that they gave him that much, um, just based on the inconsistency. And I think now maybe you don't take a player's, pass or non-existent pass into question because that was a bad hit regardless and it resulted in a serious injury for Evans with a concussion right now so yeah uh yeah that that, that that's just my take yeah I mean I, I I wasn't entirely surprised at the four games only because I mean I'm not really surprised by anything the Department of Player Safety does anymore yeah. um but I was surprised that there wasn't I, there wasn't a lot more blowback, I guess, by the by the Montreal Canadiens following the hit. Mm-hmm. Um, there was that little scrum. Um, obviously, I mean, obviously, they can't make him answer the bell. He was suspended to to, to start game two, but. It's you know it's it's one of your rookie players. It's a guy that's gonna come out and and you know he's supposed to be a part of that next generation, that next wave of Montreal Canadiens with Suzuki and in Caulfield and you know that it was a brutal hit. I don't think there was any play to to stop the puck. Um, no, I, I think he went right for the body. He was trying mm-hmm. to hit him. He did exactly what he was trying to do, and and to be honest, four games is four games because I I think the Department of Player Safety has no idea what they're doing. Um, yeah, 
it's a reminder that this is the same department that didn't um, didn't suspend you know Tom Wilson for what he did against the Rangers. Yeah. It's the same department that suspended Nazem Kadri for eight games, even though their own rule says that he's not a repeat offender under the CBA. Um, I mean, the rules are all over the place with these guys, and yeah. that that that's what that's what why I wasn't overly surprised. I was shocked that it wasn't I, I mean it could have been more it it 100% could have been more because of the severity of the hit but yeah yeah I mean like I said I kind of don't know where to go with it because I'm I, I'm still trying to figure out how the department of player safety breaks everything down um <laughs> But that being said, I, I I mean I think it was the right move to try and get Shifley out of the the series alive because if you stepped on that ice again, I think uh, this would be a, a completely different series that we'd be talking about. There'd be there'd be far more injuries and um, let's be honest, the Canadian team is struggling to get a cup right now. Anyways, yeah, it uh, you know they what? need they need all their players in the lineup. Well, you mentioned it best, too. I mean, there was no pushback except for a few scrums here and there. Because let's face it, when they face each other next time, you could rest assured that this is not going to be forgotten on the Habs' minds. Not Like, no doubt about it. That if the first game they play next season, they're going to they're gonna remember what Mark Shifley did. No doubt about it. They're going to go at They're going to go after him. They're going to make him answer the call just like, you know not to bring up the Maple Leafs, but kind of what Nick Foligno did with the Corey Perry incident, even though that was completely incidental, given the fact that Foligno said, you know what, that's our captain, no matter what. If, and, and, and here, here's my thing. Yeah, Shifley, like, was skating all the way back, and he charged him. There's no doubt about it, it was a charge. But even if he lightened up at the blue line, because I think at the blue line, he knew that that he was going to score. Even if he just went by it and just bumped him or something like that to try and like get under his skin, like, you know, you normally see players do. I would be okay with that because he's sending a message that, hey, you know what? You won this game. We're going to come out stronger the next game. You just literally hurt your team with that suspension. And with that decision, so if it was something like where, you know, it was just like just antagonize him, I, I would be okay with just antagonizing him. But you just, you steamrolled him. Like, there's no defense for that. No, and on top of all that, Evans was, you know, head down trying to put the puck in the empty net. Like, he, he, yeah. it's one he of those not plays. Expecting. No, it's one of those plays where the guy comes around the net and, and you just smoke him as hard as you possibly can, and that's all that was. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, that all said, it doesn't open the door. And this, I find this has gotten worse, not just in hockey, but, like, we've seen it in basketball over the last couple of weeks, too, where, you know, players are having popcorn and, oh, you know, comments yeah. and, sh- and all that kind of shit thrown at them yeah. on the court and, and you know, racist comments being made to them and 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 we're seeing in hockey too with the disrespect that people are throwing we've seen it with mitch marner and him not being able to get it done in the first round and people going after him and his family and you know even on this one in particular people bullying the the shifley family 
for the hit that Mark Shifley made on Jake Evans. Folks, this is a game. It's a game. Yes, yes, it will be policed on the ice. It will be policed within the game. We don't need to have people going after players' families. Like, this is just stupid. Yeah. Have we all been locked? It is. Have we all been locked up too long that we, we, we have forgotten what humanization is? Humanize the players. Realize that they are players. They are people. Criticize the players all you want. Um, you know, most of them can take it. Most of them understand that, you know, a fan base is passionate. They're frustrated. But when you start making it a personal thing, that's when it just it, – it, it's stupid. It's just stupid. And, look, we're part of Leafs Nation. Peter and I are part of Leafs Nation. Mm-hmm. We are one of the most hated – fan bases in all of hockey you can say that again because we go after our players strong and we hold them on this pedestal that maybe they are not or should not be put on but for you to go after mark shifley's family his siblings his parents like you're talking about a guy who as we mentioned was not is not a dirty player he he made a mistake he made a bad hit, and it cost Jake Evans, and it cost Mark Shifley, and it's likely going to cost the Winnipeg Jets. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's face it. I, based on what, like you mentioned in basketball, this, what happened with Marner and Shifley right now, there's just no more, no one gives a rat's ass about, like, human decency anymore. Like, that's just gone out the window, and it's really sickening, because you know what? They're, they're human beings, too. They're like you. They're like me. They have a family. And like you said, if you want to call Mark Shifley off for the hit, fine. Go ahead and call him out because that was a dumb play. That's fair. And like you said, we like to – there's there's criticism and then there's crossing the line. This this and what happened with Mitch Marner, the NBA players with popcorn and water bottles being thrown at them, all that's crossing the line. Again – you want to comment on players' performances, decisions like this? Fine. Go right ahead. You have every right to critique and criticize of what happened. But when, if you bring in a family member and taking extreme measures to try and act like you're tough with, some, with stuff like this, you, you, like, you, to me, one, you're not a fan, and to me, you just, you, you're just a horrible human being. Simple as that. Um, yes. Awful decision. Could he have lightened up and not, like, bowled over Evans? Absolutely. But to bring his family into this, it's totally uncalled for and disgusting. And he even said this. um, The bullying that his parents and siblings have gotten is completely unacceptable. The online phone calls, it's pretty gross to see. My parents are assaulting the earth. And for my parents to get hate like that and my younger brother and sister, it's awful. I can handle it. I'm a grown man. I've accepted that. And I can be held accountable for that. But... For my family to get that, it hurts me a lot. He even said he can take it. He even he's accepted the outcome and what happened and what transpired. Just leave it at that. What? Why do we? Ha- why do you people have to go the extra mile and just ah, like it, it? It's disgusting. It really is. Yeah, you sick of people yet? Because uh, I know I sure as <laughs> hell am getting sick of people, but. <laughs> No, I I mean like it, it like you said it just comes Come down to on. human decency and the fact is like 
some people just don't give a shit what their mothers think. Mm-hmm. And I, I know my mother would be disgusted with me if I, t- if I went after another person's family simply because of a game. So, yeah, uh, you know, I, I think I, I say call these people out, publicize their names and, and ridicule them because if they want to be able to, if they want to do that to other people, I mean, what goes around comes around at the end of yeah. the day it's it's sickening what you say it's sickening what you do and and as human beings i mean you guys are the outcasts you don't belong yeah. this is it's the whole lord of the flies mentality you know speak when you got the conch um and if if not like if there's no rules in place in society we end up being animals, and and mm-hmm. and right now, I I think the true animals are showing their 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 real colors. So that is a good comparison. And also, if you want more reference and you want what uh you know what somebody else thinks, check out our interview with Paul Hendrick. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And uh, shout out to my uh, my grade uh, nine teacher. Uh, Miss Bennett, I I didn't read that book. I apologize. <laughs> I know my essay was probably a load of BS, but hey, I appreciate the seventy five nonetheless. I did not read that book until grade eleven, but you know what? Again, still great comparison. <laughs> <laughs> um, regardless, I think uh, before we jump over to Maple Leafs talk, he is the voice that opens up. Every single Leaf game, um, when fans are there, even when fans weren't there this past year, he was the voice inside Scotiabank Arena. I think before we jump over to the Maple Leafs talk, we've got to throw it over to our next guest here on episode 43 of the podcast. The voice at Scotiabank, the one that allows us to, to, to feel involved in the game, um, Maple Leafs PA announcer Mike Ross. Our next guest, everyone, is a news director at AMI Audio. He's also an actor, but most of all, he is the voice inside Scotiabank Arena. He is the PA announcer for our Maple Leafs. Mike Ross, welcome to the show. Glad to have you on. Well, thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. So we're going to start off, obviously, we'll get into the Leafs a little bit, I, but I want to start off with how you got to be the PA announcer. Obviously, you're finishing your fifth season uh, behind the mic at Scotiabank, and uh, how, how did you get there? Um, well, I, you mean like from the beginning, like how yeah, I became start, a PA, let's... how I got into it? Um, <clears throat> I got into it very much by accident. I went to Carleton University in Ottawa and uh, was doing uh, a sports radio show on the campus radio station and um, wanted to get involved in athletics. I mean, I wasn't making, <laughs> I wasn't making any of the teams. Um, so I wanted to get involved in athletics in some way. So I just started volunteering at uh, different games, different events. And uh, I was at one point, I was the guy with the, with the big mop at basketball games that was mopping, uh, mopping the floor after players had yeah. fallen or whatever. Uh, I did that job. Um, I helped uh, set up for, for volleyball games, things like that. And then the football team came calling, and they asked me if I would be interested. Because I was in broadcasting uh, through, the, through the sports radio station, would I be interested in being their PA announcer because their, uh, their guy had left? So I signed on. And I started, uh, I'd never, I mean, I'd been a football fan. I'd been to a lot of football games, but I'd never 
announced anything before. So that was, that was interesting, a bit of a learning curve, but I picked it up pretty quickly and uh, was there for three seasons. Um, kind of disappointing actually, because I was there for the last season of the original Carlton Ravens football program. Uh, then they shut it down. Thankfully it's now back and uh, they're very competitive, but back in those days, they were not, <laughs> they were not a very good football team. Um, so I tried to, Tried to eject a little bit of fun and a little bit of enthusiasm into, uh, into the job. And uh, shortly thereafter, I started working in sports radio in Ottawa and got a little bit more exposure to uh, some of the local teams. And the Ottawa 67s were actually um, holding auditions for their uh, PA announcer job. And uh, so because I, I'd, I'd been doing some filling in for the baseball team, the AAA baseball team, which was owned by the same uh, uh, and run by the same people who own the junior hockey team. I got to know some of the people from the Ottawa 67s. And when the ownership turned over in 1999, they sort of cleaned house and went with all new people and they were looking for a new PA guy. And so I auditioned, did not get it initially. Uh, James Sobolski from, uh, you know him from TSN, Sportsnet, uh, he got the job, and then he ended up getting a gig out in Vancouver. And so the job opened up a second time uh, in 1998, and I uh, got a call, and they offered me the job. So I started doing that. We won a Memorial Cup in my first season. What a year. And um, basically, that was, uh, that was it. Um, in 2001, I moved to Toronto. I didn't do any PA announcing for another nine years or so and uh in 2010 the guy who'd hired me for the junior hockey job was now working with the ottawa senators and their pa announcer was going to vancouver to cover or to work actually for the paralympic games and so they needed a backup pa announcer for the senators so he asked me if i'd be interested in going up and doing a few games for them and um so my first year i got to do a game against Washington, against Calgary, and against the Maple Leafs. So, I mean, that was awesome. And uh, I basically just served as a backup in Ottawa for uh, about six, five, six seasons. And uh, in 2016, um, the Maple Leafs job opened up. And I had uh, worked with some folks at MLSE when I uh, did PA announcing for the World Junior Championships in 2015. So I had some contacts there. So they gave me a call and asked me if I'd be interested in auditioning for the Maple Leafs gig. And uh, I kind of chuckled, <laughs> you know, yeah, sh- of course I'd be interested in auditioning. Of course I'd be interested in the job. There's not a chance I'm ever going to get it, but I'll give it a go. I mean, it's Toronto, right? Um, even in my broadcasting career, every, this, is, this is the place that everybody sort of aspires to be. Um, biggest stage, biggest spotlight. And it's no different for the hockey team. So there was no way that I was going to land this job, but, but I'll take a shot at it. And uh, I was wrong. <laughs> I was very wrong. And I ended up landing the job and just completed my fifth season. Nice. Andrew mentioned off the top of the show, Mike, uh, actor, um, working at AMI, and obviously, you know, play, uh, PA announcer for the Maple Leafs. What's your time management like holding three different types of jobs right now? Um, I need a really good calendar on my phone. <laughs> I need a lot of uh, a lot of notifications turned on. Um, 
it's not easy to be honest. Um, and it, it's, it's spotty work, right? So it sort of happens all over the place and um, at all times and, and all days. So uh, got to be flexible. I also coach youth baseball. So thankfully that's going to get going in uh, the next couple of weeks. And mm-hmm. that keeps me busy, uh, certainly through the summer. Um, I can think, uh, funny, actually, last year I was coaching a game um, during the playoffs. And uh, so during the bubble last year, there were two of us doing announcing. We'd split it up. And I wasn't doing the game. Um, it was a Tampa Bay and the Tampa Bay and Columbus that went like triple six, o- six, six overtimes over- or yeah, something yeah. like six periods. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it was crazy. So I was coaching a baseball game and I came off the field and I asked somebody, I said, Hey, what's the score? And they said, uh, they're still going. I said, what? That game started <laughs> at four o'clock. What are you talking about? Or six o'clock or whatever it was. So, um, so I was, I was kind of thankful to be on a baseball team. <laughs> <laughs> on that day because that was a, that was a long long night um uh, simon bennett was uh, doing the pa announcing simon's the voice of the uh, toronto marlies um so t- simon uh, drew that one um but it, it's just it really is about managing your time um the ami job is a great job uh, it's super fulfilling um as far as uh, all the broadcasting jobs i've ever had in my life working at AMI, where we produce programming for uh, blind and partially sighted Canadians, where everything we do, we try and do through the lens of accessibility, and we put the spotlight on accessibility stories and issues. So it's it's super fulfilling. Um, so that basically keeps me occupied every weekday morning. And then the afternoons and weekends are sort of open for hockey. And I do some voice acting. Recently, I've actually started some on-screen acting, which uh, has been a lot of fun. So, um, yeah, it's it's a lot of juggling of of time, but uh, it really does require you to sort of buckle down. And and honestly, I, I joke about the calendar, but like it's it's always it's always in my back pocket because. I'm constantly having to write it down and put it, put it in the calendar because if I didn't, there's just, there's just too much going on. Not enough hours in the day to necessarily get everything done, but certainly easy to get lost if you're, if you're not organized. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I, I noticed you got the Toronto Maple Leafs shirt on. You've got a uh, little Maple Leafs frame in the back there. Um, coming from Ottawa, how, how, how did you become a Maple Leafs uh fan i guess i should say i would assume you're a fan with 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 the shirt and everything absolutely um and it's funny when i when i was interviewed um for the pa announcing job by brendan shanahan i i told him this story and and he just it was it was great it was great to see you know of all people brendan shanahan just sort of sitting there going that's a great story um my grandfather uh lived next door to uh to me my uh my my whole childhood and i lived on a street where in a neighborhood where there just weren't a lot of kids so my grandfather and i we were always hanging out and my my parents weren't really sports fans they my dad liked baseball he liked playing baseball but they weren't they didn't follow teams they didn't watch it on tv um they would take me to my games they would like my dad would 
take me to Montreal to see the Expos. Um, but my grandfather was a true sports fan. So it was not uncommon, especially on the weekends, for me to be over at his place and we're watching TV or we're playing catch or we're playing hockey. My grandfather was a goalie um, in the Canadian Army for the Canadian Army team. And um, so he just had a love of sports and uh, we would just we just watch hockey night in Canada, Saturday nights. That was the tradition. We were, he was a, a, a big, big hockey fan. And in fact, for a number of years, he lived in Montreal and was a Canadians fan, was at a Canadians game in 1948. And um, there was, it was Montreal, Boston, Boston defenseman went end to end, made a great play. My grandfather just started applauding, acknowledging that it was a nice play. And uh, suddenly he's getting stuff thrown at him. Somebody reaches down behind him and slaps the hat off his head. And an usher came over and told him that he had to pipe down or else he was going to be told to leave. And at that point he said, no problem. Just get me my hat. I'll leave and you won't have to see me again. And the next day he switched his allegiance to the Toronto Maple Leafs and was a Maple Leafs fan the rest of his life. Um, And uh, with a little bit of love for Ottawa when, when the senators came to town, but for, for a different reason, I'll tell you that in a second, but he, he basically brought me up as a, as a Maple Leafs fan. Saturday nights, we watched the first period together, and if I was lucky, he would call my mom and say I was staying for the second, and if I was really lucky, he'd call her and tell her I was staying for the third, and that was, <laughs> those were great nights, right? Yeah, um, But then when we got the Senators, you know, now there was a team in our hometown, and eventually my little cousin, he's... Um, 10 years younger than I am, he became the DJ for the, uh, for the senators. Wow. So, and now he just completed his 16th season um, working for the senators. So, so now my grandfather had a reason to, you know, a couple of reasons to watch senators games. One, it's the hometown team. The broadcasts are on all the time. And his other grandson is working for the team. So, um, so there were, there was like a bit of a mixed allegiance there for him, but he brought me up as a as a Maple Leafs fan and uh and, and that's I mean that's that's my team and to uh to think back to the day where I got the call saying you know we'd like you to be the next PA announcer for the Toronto Maple Leafs um dream come true absolutely dream come true never would have expected it um and it's uh that whole day, the the, the way that whole phone call went is something I'll never forget. I have to kind of follow that up with, uh, you mentioned sitting there being interviewed by uh, Brendan Shanahan or or chatting with Brendan Shanahan. I mean, obviously like, what was that like? I mean, sitting there with (laughs) talking to a guy who's was a big name in in his playing days as well. So what's interesting is that for, from uh, 2005 to 2015, I was a, a, a reporter, a producer, and then a host at NHL radio on uh, Sirius XM. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, over the years, I've, I've interviewed, you know, Gretzky, uh, Lemieux, Patrick Waugh, Martin Brodeur, the commissioner. Uh, you know, I've made a lot of friends in the game. But nothing that I'd ever done before in those 10 years was as intimidating uh, and made me as anxious as waiting for that day to happen. Like the whole process 
uh, of auditioning for the Maple Leafs job was just like surreal. Um, it started with a phone call asking me if I'd be interested in auditioning. And um, then you get a call saying, here's the audition date. They send you a script. Here's what you're, here's what you're going to read. Then the day of show up at the arena, there were a couple of people sitting uh, uh, ahead of me. Uh, there were, there was just a row of chairs on the, in, in the, uh, in the lobby. And somebody comes down and brings you upstairs to, uh, to do the audition live in, in the bowl. Um, and you can hear the auditions as they're going on, right? Like you, it's, it's, it's loud enough. You can hear it sitting there. So it's a little nerve wracking thinking about that. Um, but when they brought me upstairs, they brought me to the booth where I had auditioned for the world juniors. So, and the, the woman who was in the booth running the audition up there was a woman that I'd worked with and had brought me through my audition uh, a year before for the, or a year and a half before for the world juniors. So as soon as I got there, like everything, all the anxiety, er nervousness, everything just went away because I was in a familiar place. I was comfortable. And at that point, I just said, you know, I have to go into this being me doing what I do, how I do it. Because I mean, I could, I'd heard a couple of the other people ahead of me and it felt like those people were trying to emulate what the previous PE announcer sounded like. Um, and in my mind, it, it was just sort of driven into me that if that's what they wanted, they would have stayed with that PA announcer. They wouldn't be making a change. So clearly they're, they're looking for something a little bit different. So just be you. And so I sat down, I did the reads. They're recording it. Uh, at the time, my understanding is that Brendan and uh, Lou Lamorello and other people from the game uh, presentation, the game ops department were in the bowl listening live. It was also recorded. There were 22 auditions um, that got pared down to five. Then they, they pared that list of five down to two and the two finalists got an in-person interview the week leading up to that interview, absolutely the most nerve wracking week of my life. Um, I was on vacation. It was, a, it, was in, uh, it was in the summer. I was on holidays. And I don't think I've ever checked my phone more than I did in, in, in those weeks, right? Like just, is there a change? Do I have an update? Is there something else I need to do? Um, and once I did the interview, I mean, you you sit down there in, in that in a corner office and in walks Brandon Shanahan. And I'm aware of, you know, his plan for the Maple Leafs and, and, and sort of his vision for the Maple Leafs. There are a couple of years into that. And of all the people I interviewed in my career uh, covering the NHL, I'd never interviewed Brandon Shanahan never spoken to Brendan Shanahan. So there was nothing, there was no familiarity there at all other than I know that, Oh my God, 
this is the president of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And um, I'd always admired him as a player, had a lot of respect for him as a player. And the funniest thing was just like immediately he put me at ease and, you know, asked me where I was from. I said, oh, Ottawa. You a Senators fan? <laughs> I was like, no. I said, as a matter of fact, uh, you know, I've covered the NHL for NHL radio for 10 years. If anything, I kind of digressed a little bit as a Maple Leafs fan because you're covering 30 teams, you know. You, you don't have time to drill down on one team. But then I, I explained, you know, how my grandfather brought me up on it. I explained how my, um, in 1948, my grandfather's at the forum. He gets harassed. He leaves fan, the fandom of the Canadians, becomes a Leafs fan, and stayed there forever. Um, and how I brought my grandfather to a game. I brought him to a live game in uh, November of 1998. Um, Ottawa-Vancouver. He hadn't been to a live NHL game in 50 years. So 1948, when he left the Montreal Forum, that was the last time he went to a live NHL game until 1998. Um, and it was just, I was just so comfortable talking to Brennan through that, through that meeting and just talking about my grandfather, talking about growing up as a hockey fan and things that I'd experienced. And uh, that, that anxiety, that nervousness went away really quickly. Wow. Mike, obviously the last two seasons has been very difficult. Um, the fact that no, no fans are allowed in the stadium. Obviously, teams thrive on that environment. They want the fans there. From your perspective as the PA announcer, what, is, what was that like for the past year and a bit where no one is in except for the 500 fans that was recently um, in for Game 7? Well, first of all, having those 500, you know, 50 plus people in, in the rink for game seven was just such a relief. Um, number one, I was happy for us and our players because that's who we do the show for. That's who the players do the show for their show for. That's who we do our show for. Um, but I was happy for them. It's been a long 15 months. Um, and the fact that they were frontline healthcare workers, mm -hmm. not that other people haven't had a tough year, but it was just nice to be able to give people who'd had a tough year a night like that to just let it out, be in an arena, hear the music, hear those cheers. Like it was awesome. But if I go back to, you know, our, our, when they cut it off last March, and then the first couple of games in the bubble, that was weird. It was odd. And, and I mean, even going back to when I, when I did PA announcing for, for junior hockey, I was with the 67s when ownership had turned over and the team was pretty good. And we were, we were hosting the Memorial Cup. I was used to like sellout crowds at the Ottawa Civic Center. So most nights when I was announcing attendance, you know, it was 10,500 fans. When I was announcing for AAA baseball, there are most nights where there were five, 6,000 fans. So to suddenly have no one in, in the building and you, you know, the, the, the first announcement you make is, you know, ladies and gentlemen, your Toronto Maple Leafs. And there's nobody cheering. Yeah. 
And it just felt like everything sort of ground to a halt. And it was like, what are, what is going on here? Mm -hmm. Um, So it took a little getting used to, but the message was what we were trying to do is maintain some normalcy for the players. So through the music that they're used to hearing, because let's face it, when you, when you guys watch hockey players, they are for the most part creatures of habit, right? Mm -hmm. So they tape their stick the same way. They hang their Jersey the same way. They put this skate on and that skate on. They don't lace this. They lace that when they come out of the dressing room, you know, it's always in the same order. So it was important to try and give them some of that normalcy with the music, with the announcements. Um, and, and there are some things like the last minute of play. That's something that they listen for when they're on the ice that coaches listen for when they're on the ice. So it was important to bring that um, to them so that they could have as, as normal a situation as possible. And I mean, as, as we went along, sure, you had the, the, the crowd sound effects, which was fine, but I think you just, you get into the groove again. You get into the groove of just announcing, and there was, there was so much great interaction with the fans through social media mm-hmm. that it, it, it drove home the message even more that I was announcing for them. And I was kind of, I was the, a bit of a conduit for the fans in the building. I was sort of their representative. So, you know, be loud, be excited, be proud and, and, and represent the fans to, uh, to, to the fullest. And, and then it just, you know, it started feeling like, if you will, quote unquote, normal. It wasn't, but it started to feel a little bit more normal. I'm going to go from no fans to jumping back to 2015 in the world juniors. <laughs> and, and uh, I mean, what was like that? What was that like for you? I, I can only imagine it would be pretty electric in there. It was unbelievable. Um, the, the World Juniors hadn't been in Toronto um, before, before then. So uh, I, I don't think they ever played it at the Gardens. I think they, when they came, I think it was 1978. And I, the only reason that sticks in my head was I remember Wayne Gretzky had played in the World Juniors and it was in Canada, and, and they were at the Montreal Forum. So I'm pretty sure that was the first time it, that the World Juniors was being played in Toronto. Um, but for me, it was, I mean, it was difficult because you're, you're in a tournament setting versus a regular league setting. So it was really, it was long. There were days where you would have three games in one day and, and I was the only announcer. So, so the way it normally works when it's in Canada, they hire a, uh, a French announcer and an English announcer. Um, when I heard that the tournament was coming to Toronto, I called up ho- uh, hockey Canada in Calgary and said, listen, I know you usually hire two announcers. I'm bilingual. I can knock them both out of the park because I, I am fluent in French. 
and English. And I was just wondering if you guys are going to be holding any auditions. So uh, they got back to me. They gave me an audition and I got the gig. I, in fact, I got both gigs. Um, so they only had to hire one person to do both jobs. So that was super advantageous for me. And um, just what an exciting team to, to, uh, to watch, right? Um, I think, you know, I think McDavid, um, Max Domi, uh, Anthony DeClaire, I've, you know, cause I've done two, two world juniors now and both of them were, were, were pretty electric situations. What was interesting was the first time around, we didn't have team Canada in the first, in, in the round Robin games, they were in Montreal. We got team Canada once we got into the medal rounds. So, I mean, it was even more amped up by the time they got to Toronto. The second time around, we had Canada here in the uh, preliminary uh, games. And, uh, and so, you know, of course it's super electric, but nothing like when they're playing in when getting into the, the medal rounds, the playoff rounds. And for, for them to win it, I mean, you talk about some of the things that are on my wall here. One that you can't see that's uh, a photo of the team when they, when they went to center ice after the game with the trophy and like, it's a group shot. And I had my, uh, I had my camera with my zoom lens on it and I got a, I got a great shot from, uh, from my vantage point and that's up on the, on the wall. Um, it's, uh, it, it was a tremendous moment and you just, uh, it, it was kind of neat to, because it's a tournament that, you know, I'd watched for years and years and years mm -hmm. and you see that celebration on, on a TV screen year after year, all those times that they won, but to be in the building, to be announcing, you know, the, the medal winners and the all-stars and, and trying to keep your cool, trying to, on one hand, being a fan, being really excited that Canada has won the home team won, but also knowing you got a job to do deliver, you know, deliver the message and, and, and keep your, keep it straight, keep your cool. It was, uh, it was, it was interesting. It was, I think probably more difficult than, than, than it would be now because of the experience that I have now over the last five years. Mike, kind of a short question or I don't know if this is going to be an easy one for you early on in your career right now with the Maple Leafs, what has been your most memorable moment from now and what do you expect to see in the future? Um, there have been so many amazing plays, um, you know, uh, Austin Matthews hitting 40 goals, uh, that first time, um, uh, watching, watching this team make the playoffs year after year that I've been there has been outstanding, but it, it's hard to beat my first game. And not only because, you know, it's your first game and, and you're, you're, super jack but um the maple leafs up until uh october 15th uh 2016 had had two retired numbers all the other numbers that hung in the rafters were called honored numbers and as part of the centennial they retired all those honored numbers on that first night of the uh, of the regular season in 2016 and so about two weeks before that, um, our director of, uh, of game ops brought me a script and said, okay, here's our opening night ceremony. 
is I want you to look this over, go through it, read it, really know it. Um, but most of all, you can't show it to anybody. You can't talk to anybody about it. And I'm just kind of like, what is he talking about? Like we introduced the players. There's an opening face off, you know, the, the 48th Highlanders come out, the Anthem goes, what's, what's going on here. And I start leafing through the script and I can see that, Oh, wow. We're retiring all these numbers. Um, you know, Johnny Bauer is going to be there. Mahovlich, Wendell, Doug. It's just, I'm, I'm blown away at, at the enormity of this ceremony. Um, and then with the excitement of the fact that my opening first opening night is coming up and this ceremony is happening and I got to keep it under wraps for two weeks. Like, wow. Um, so that was a hard secret to, to keep bottled up, but I did. Um, and being there and going through that ceremony, I mean, that was almost, I think it was 20, the video's up on YouTube. I think it's 26 minutes of me introducing all these players. And, you know, to, 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 to hear the fan reaction to Johnny Bauer. And Johnny, I mean, I love Johnny Bauer so much. And, and his reaction to, to just the love that he felt from the crowd when he wrapped his arms around himself and sort of like the crowd was hugging him. I mean, to this day, that, that just floors me. I love that image is amazing to me. Um, and, you know, Doug Gilmore, how many times have you ever seen Doug Gilmore cry, right? Like that was the, 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 the passion of the fans really shone through that night. And for me, the, the enormity, the, the historic nature of a ceremony like that was just unreal. And for it to be on my first night, was i mean it just just floored me and there have been again a number of great events that have happened since i mean the centennial classic the outdoor game was amazing um doing games uh, on the road in training camps you know going we did a game in hamilton did a game in uh, and um uh, Halifax uh, did a game in St. John's, Newfoundland. Just seeing the, the, the love that Leaf fans have for this team right across the country is outstanding. But that night was pretty special. And, and when you think about just what it, where it stands in the history of the hockey team is like, I'm, I'm, just amazed and honored to have been a part of it and uh, absolutely has to, I think to this point, be the, the, the number one highlight. Well, Mike, before we let you go, I'd be remiss if I didn't have the, the voice of Scotiabank Arena on our show without uh, maybe giving us the best PA announcement of uh, you're listening to the Sticks in the Six podcast. So are we able to get that from you? You're listening to the Sticks in the Six podcast. That's perfect, Mike. Uh, that is again, awesome. 
we we appreciate you coming on and, and we we love what uh, what you're able to do and, and uh you know we try to live vicariously through all the people that we have on this show so we appreciate it and uh you know all the best uh, next season in your sixth season and uh for those that uh that want to follow mike on twitter he is at rossi on the mic a great follow and uh you know we look forward to hearing your calls uh, for years to come i look forward to it as well thank you very much for having me on appreciate it thank you thanks mike well peter that was a hell of an interview uh for me i i have to say my favorite part was possibly how his grandfather became a leafs fan jumping over from the dark side in the montreal canadians but what what an incredible story and and you know you don't see fandom change like that um very often and and for it to happen the way that it did for him to come up a leaf fan um to be to be brought up a leaf fan by his grandfather in the ottawa area and now to be the voice of the toronto maple leafs inside the arena how unbelievable for a guy like mike to to be able to to accomplish what he's accomplished yeah absolutely amazing and i mean it just seems so surreal for him to be in that position right now you know to be a fan growing up calling and even like he like he has an extensive list of a history in broadcasting and you know announcing especially with the world juniors and stuff like that getting this opportunity with the maple Leafs is actually it's kind of like a perfect story chapter in, in his story i mean who, i mean who would love to be in his position right now this is his dream job and for him to do a fantastic job put us in this scenario and situation every single night I remember the last game that I went to, it was in October of 2019 before the pandemic hit. And it was the Leafs against the Lightning. And the first thing that you know is you feel his energy behind the mic. I mean, you don't see him, but you hear his presence and you hear him trying to liven the crowd out. And the crowd just jumps up and roars because of him. He's getting us all riled up. And the fact that he was able to do that. In Game 7, granted with a limited number of fans, 550 healthcare workers, shout out to all of them. I mean, it it, it brings back, it, it's helping us get back to some sort of normalcy. And for him to just be a part of this whole entire thing, being in this job and this position, it's just absolutely great to see. And I couldn't be more happy for him. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I loved your question uh, about, um, you know, what it was like being in there while all this pandemic was going on no fans yeah. in the building and his response is you know we're trying to create some normalcy for the for the the players, the players. Yeah. and and i loved i loved that answer because really it is it, it's a it's a game of of you know having the same routine and being you know going to the arena knowing what you're going to do knowing what to expect every you know every night game in and game out and and to hear that familiar voice, how much um, calmness it can bring to a player who, you know, during this time is probably going through the same bouts of, of you know, uh, anxiety and, and, and mm-hmm. fear and, and whatever else that all of us are going through. And for, the, for him to be that voice of normalcy, I mean, that was just an incredible answer. I loved it. I love the interview. I love the story about his grandfather, like I said, and I loved, I loved that he, you know, gave us a little taste of 
his PA announcements with uh, <laughs> the Sticks in the Six podcast. I think that's great. I want to add that to our intro uh, for every episode because it's just it, it's one of those moments that uh, you know that's why we're doing this. We're having it's fun. It's special. It's special. We're bringing yeah. people on that you know get to tell their story and we get to be a part of it. And for him to to do that for us, it was it was incredible to have him on. And um, you know. What a, what a guy, what a, what a great, great guy to have on. He, he was, you know, joked early on about having a very organized calendar. And sometimes, <laughs> you know, I wonder how he juggles three jobs and here I am doing a day job and a podcast while having a kid. And I'm, I, you know, I, I, I feel like I'm lost every day on my calendar. So, um, all can't the wait credit, to see the, what the future holds for me. Yeah. All the credit to him, <laughs> all the credit to him, but definitely. Yeah, hell of an interview. Um, but uh, yeah, we got to jump right into Leaf Talk because that's why you guys all came, and 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 we know that. So, do we I have think to? Uh, I know. Really I know. To? <laughs> I was dreading this episode because, you know, on my way home today, I was wondering before we started recording here. I, I I was thinking back and saying, man, did we already talk about Game Seven? Hopefully, we already talked about Game Seven. Well, <laughs> unfortunately, we did not talk about Game Seven yet, and kind of predicted it though uh, yeah you did, yeah. you did i mean yeah it, it just it's one of those feelings it's like you know they always throw out those tweets if you if you had one goalie for a one goal you know winner take all game who would you have and i feel like every time one of the top three answers is carrie price mm-hmm. and here we were losing two in a row building up that confidence on a player who you don't want to have that confidence going into a winner take all game seven with the history and the demons that they, the Maple Leafs have had over the last few years. And there you are facing off against Carey price, a confident Carey price. And there it was, you know, three, one, obviously Nylander stuck in that last little goal to, to, to boost his numbers in the playoffs. And um, yeah, I mean, We've seen the tweets, we've seen the memes, we've seen the laughs, you know, Leafs lose in, in the first round once again, this time in front of 550 healthcare workers, which thankfully the Ontario government actually allowed into the uh, the building, which was, mm-hmm. you know, probably the lone bright spot about this whole series uh, when it comes to the, the Toronto Maple Leafs. And, um, you know, it was great for them to be there. Unfortunately, the team couldn't get it done for them. You know, I, I think we mentioned in the, or in the opening here, still a little sour. It's recovery week for us. Yeah. But you got to love Leafs Nation with all their reasonings as to why it happened, who they're going to trade out of, the, out of town. This is what makes us Leafs Nation, is mm-hmm. we love to push our star players to leave Toronto because we just simply don't like what they did in a seven-game series. Yeah, um, my article title, Recapping Game 7, said it all. Same old song and dance with this team. And it's just disappointing to see because, you know, A, this is the best team assembled over the last five seasons where, you know, this core was assembled. I don't think I've seen a team more competitive in the regular season than I have in the past four years than with this group. B, this was their best shot to make a deep run. And... I think that if this team was built two years ago, 
I think maybe we would be a little bit more lenient considering the fact that maybe the on-ice product and the same result possibly could have happened. Again, possibly. But the fact that you dominated the North Division, you were the top seed, you didn't have to worry about the President's Trophy curse because that went to Colorado. You faltered. And I think that's why this thing's more because of the fact that, again, expectations were higher than previous season, than the previous season. And now you're trying to figure out what happened. I mean, you look at the teams right now in the playoffs, Tampa Bay, Colorado, Vegas. You look at their response and and their ability to bounce back in games that Toronto failed to provide. They did you know, claw their way back in games five and six, but they couldn't sustain the momentum and close it out like they could. That to me is disappointing. That to me is what still stings with everybody because they know this team could have gone to the final four. Yeah, I mean, I I, I believe that as well. I think I look at it now and I see where Montreal sitting up three games to none against Winnipeg, a team that, swept the Edmonton Oilers in the first round. And I'm starting to think that we're seeing more of the Montreal Canadiens that started the season. Mm -hmm. And at the beginning of the year, the Montreal Canadiens were unbeatable, uh, simply unbeatable. Toffoli was on point. Um, Kod Kinyemi was playing well. Um, You know, Cole Caulfield wasn't in the lineup. and, And since he's come in, he's been unbelievable nick suzuki was on every game just playing incredibly well obviously jake evans you know he was a difference maker as well uh jeff petrie um edmondson being a force on the back end carry price on top of his game like this team was incredible to start the year and then they faltered and it seems that with the seven game set against the leafs something clicked again that confidence was brought back. Um, and unfortunately, with the Leafs, I, th- I think the confidence faltered. Mm-hmm. The power play wasn't working for the last month and a bit of the season. Um, and, and it carried over. Their their PK let them down at just the wrong time. Um, you know, Tavares injury obviously hurt. Mm-hmm. The Muzzin injury obviously hurt. Not having your legitimate number one goalie in net. I mean, Jack Campbell played his ass off and played well. There's so much to this that maybe uh, people are not giving Montreal enough credit. And look, I'll be the last person that gives Montreal credit when they, when they deserve it. (laughs) Yeah, I really am. Um, I'm not a Montreal fan. I, I never will be. Um, they're as hated in my head as the Boston Bruins are in my heart. Uh, but they deserve every inch of credit that they, mm-hmm. they are getting right now because they, they've played good hockey over the last few games. Game five, game six, game seven. They played their tails off. Carey Price shouldered that team. And while I'm not a fan of the Montreal Canadiens, I'm a huge fan of the of Carey Price. I think what he does is absolutely amazing. Yeah, he's unbelievable as a goaltender at, at his position. He he's you know top five in the world if you ask anybody. Um, and and he stepped up. Yeah, and nobody knew what to expect from him because he was coming back from injury. 
Nobody knew which carry price they were going to get. He had a new goalie coach just before he went down with injury. Nobody knew what to expect. And he was the difference maker. And at the end of the day, the Leaf defense played well. Their forwards, you know, obviously Matthews and Marner were snake bitten. But I want to bring up a stat that a lot of people aren't talking about. Mitch Marner. First of all, 24-year-old Mitch Marner. 24-year-old Mitch Marner. He is just 24. Matthews is just 23 right now. Okay? Still incredibly young with a lot of fantastic hockey to play out of them. Now, Mitch Marner took 19 shots over the seven-game series. He had four assists over that time. Over his career in the playoffs, he has 25 points in 32 games. Not bad. Really, really, it is not bad. Mm-hmm. 19 shots over seven games. That's an average of 2.7 shots per game. Okay. Over the season in which he, his shooting percentage was 12.8, he had 156 shots over 55 games for, I believe, his third 20 goal season of his career. Okay. This is not a, a shooter, this is a playmaker. His third 20 goal season of his career. The average shots for his season, 2.8 per game. He took no le- no fewer shots in the playoffs. He took no more shots in the playoffs. He played somewhat to what his game has been over his first five years as an NHLer. To those people that are discrediting what he did, Yes, it's frustrating that he doesn't score goals at the same magnitude that a guy like, I don't know, Braden Point does. That said, he he played his game, and that's exactly what he needed to do. He came up short. He's not going to be a guy that's going to shoot at a 0% rate very often. Unfortunately, in this seven-game series, he wasn't able to get it done. Yeah. I mean, let's face it, at the year, uh, end of year conference and even post game, no one looked more disappointed and dejected than Mitch Marner. Um, I'm, a, I'm a big Mitch Marner fan. I have been since he was drafted. We talked about how he needs to be better, but those numbers that you just brought up, still pretty damn good. Again, I think what, I think what people are, I don't think people are upset at the numbers because. Yeah, would you like to see him score a goal? He hasn't scored in two in uh, two playoffs, I believe it's since you know twenty eighteen nineteen was the last time he scored. I believe it's uh, the last fifteen playoff games he has not scored a goal. Yeah, would you like to see him score? Absolutely. Um, but I think there is more to it. I think maybe he was, and and, and we talked about this before. He didn't not necessarily seem disengaged, but I think maybe he was trying to do too much and it affected his play. I mean, granted, Montreal was able to shut down both him and Matthews because once he shut down the playmaker, then the goal scorer is probably going to be non-existent as well. But when Matthews got his chances, he got really good looks. It's just carry price is carry price. Simple as that. But Marner was making mistakes that he normally doesn't make with his puck handling, with his decision-making, where he was throwing it, 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 creating turnovers, it showed, but something something was off with him. And I think it, I, 
I don't think people obviously people are upset with the fact that he doesn't score or that he should at least have maybe a goal or two considering the fact that you know he scored 20 goals again this year like you said a third of his career the decision making and the management and I and I even noticed this in games five and six it, it just wasn't the same as it was all year and I think that now he said he needed to be better. I think he has to take this. This is the year he has to take this and just not necessarily bottle it up, but take it all out and use that to his advantage and come back pissed off. Like a majority of the other players, Braden points, shoots the puck a bit more. You saw the similarities in their style, the way they skated, the way they, you know, protect the puck and their skating styles. It was very similar. If he could get back to that point, as Braden Point, just to not confuse anyone there, <laughs> um, Mitch Marner is a dangerous player. He always will be. And I, and Shanahan said it best. They're committed to this core. People would love to have a Mitch Marner, an Austin Matthews, John Tavares, and a William Nylander, four great players on their team. I don't think people are already calling for his head to like you know be traded and get out. Yeah, I could understand. Yeah, you want to try and throw some hypotheticals out there. To me, this might be the last year that I'm not. I know they're probably going to keep the core together, but this is the last year to show that you know you mean business. I don't know if that's the case, but to me, that's just my opinion. You gotta, you gotta come out flying out of the gate at the start of the season. Come out pissed off, and I do, and I say this all the time. Come back with that mentality after years and years of failure. You do that, then you're going to be in a great spot. I mean, Tampa Bay's had their fair share of disappointment, and they came out flying. They built a great product, and they got to get that killer instinct that Sheldon Keefe and Brennan Shanahan alluded to. You didn't have some of the players in that bottom six that had it. You got to instill that in your leaders, and you got to go after and find some players that, you know what, there's some pretty good names out there that could probably fill that role. Yeah, no, and I, I want to... I do agree with you that I think he needs to own this one. He does need to wear a chip on his shoulder and he needs to, you know, find a way to, to make it happen next season. I do think though, that a lot of it comes down to a loss of confidence and that's, that's yes. what it ended up being, you know, down the stretch here that the power play couldn't get it done. He was a, he was a main cog on that power play. Um, mm. He's built differently than, than a guy like, like Austin Matthews who can, find a way to just continue to shoot that puck and he's got that lethal shot martyr shooting is not what people think it is it's his shot isn't incredible his shot's good but it's not great yeah it's good um he's a playmaker he's a he's a possession guy um that said shout out to luke fox of sportsnet who tweeted out since joining the team, Mitch Marner leads the Toronto Maple Leafs in playoff points per game at 0.78. And this is a guy that fans have called for his head. They've mm-hmm. called for trading him. If he's not on your team right now, your team not only is losing every first round as they have, but you're talking about a lesser offense than what you have. Mm-hmm. And this is where I want, before people throw out the trade so-and-so, trade this, trade that, I want people to really look at the numbers, look at the stats, 
analyze what's there before you make some asinine comment about how he's not a good player. Is he worth $10 million? Uh, You know, Maybe it's, ar- it's arguable that any person is worth, you know, $5 million. Mm-hmm. And yet here we are paying professional athletes what they what they get paid. I'm not going to get yeah. into that. That's a whole other story, a whole <laughs> other discussion for another day. That said, the Maple Leafs decided to pay him $10 million. That's on the Maple Leafs. That's not on Mitch Marner. Mm-hmm. For him yeah. to be where he is, for him to do what he's done over his NHL career, he is a he's a fantastic player. Does the does the playoff lack of playoff success, you know, maybe bring into question sometimes is his worth to the team? Absolutely. I don't think it's time to trade the guy. He's like I mentioned, he's twenty four years old. Yeah. Look at teams before them. The Boston Bruins took, you know, seven years where they were kicked out in the first round five times and missed the playoffs twice. And then they went on to win a Stanley Cup. I'm not saying the Leafs are going to win the Stanley Cup next year. I'm not saying the Leafs are going to win the Stanley Cup in two years. I'm saying you you have to be patient. The worst thing is in sports is when you aren't patient with certain players, move them, and they go on to have success. Yeah. Alex Steen is a perfect example of that. Mm-hmm. Look what he meant to the, the St. Louis Blues on their Stanley Cup run. Yeah. And Toronto, Toronto moved on from him for, for you know, for what? What'd they get back in that trade? In in defense of that, that it was uh, I believe him and Koliakov for Lee Stempniak. That's right. In defense, they I don't know what they were doing. They gave up on a prospect way too early. I think maybe they try to salvage something and try and get a good return. Granted, that Steam was pretty pretty solid at the beginning of his career. Um, yeah, I mean I I agree with you. It's way too early. You are probably, I mean, granted, you have like great players coming up in the system forward wise and Nick Robertson and Rodney Demirov, but I, are they going to replace the same? Could they replace the same type of, you know, production as Mitch Marner combined? Yes. Individually, no. So there's that, there's that aspect as well. But here's one thing that I found interesting looking back at all the game by game stats for the series and on natural stat trick. In games three and four, Toronto had a massive or significant amount in terms of possession, scoring chances, expected goals for in the first 40 minutes in games three and four, kind of dipped in the last 20 minutes when Montreal started to mount a comeback. In games five and six, that script flipped where the Maple Leafs didn't have as great numbers in the first 40 compared to the last 20 minutes. So interesting to see how the table and the story flipped where, you know, Toronto had the advantage for 20 minutes, 40 minutes, one didn't have the advantage for 40 minutes and lost. And then game seven is a whole different story because they didn't show up until, you know, the, they tried to show up in the last 40 minutes did not work out. Um, but it's funny how I noticed that compare the, that kind of trend. And it's funny because 
they were still relatively close. And obviously we know what happened to bad giveaways in overtime. They couldn't find that extra gear to close things out despite coming back twice. I mean, you silenced the crowd of Montreal with that 2-2 tie game. And then Travis Dermott does what he does, and it just completely throws everything off. You lost that momentum right there. But losing Game 5 completely deflated them. Uh, but in Game 6, you had 10 shots against in the first five minutes. You came back. You had 76% of the shot attempts and 87% of an expected goal f- goals for a percentage in overtime. And you still c- couldn't come out on top despite... I mean, granted, overtime, anything can happen. Momentum could shift quickly just like that we saw that it's the perfect example but even in game five like looking at the maple leafs numbers in that third period you know shot attempts 64.52 shots for 71.43 scoring chances 71.43 percent at five on five 70% 70% scoring chances and their expected goals for was 67.9 Good possession numbers, but then again, it, I mean, it's great that that matters, but at the same time, goals matter too, and Montreal got the opportune goal at the right moment, despite Toronto having a significant advantage possession-wise. Yeah, no, I I think, you know, the, the Leafs got their opportunities, and that wasn't the question. Jack Campbell played played his, his tail off. That wasn't the problem. I think, like I said, systematically – the team did not do well on their power play opportunities. Yeah. That hurt them. The PK, you know, was great up until game six. That ended up hurting them. Uh, yeah, it just, there was there was a bunch of pieces that came into play. And, and at the end of the day. Special teams can break you. Special teams can break you. And we've seen it. We, that was one thing that we talked about going into the playoffs was that the Leafs need to figure out their power play. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, and this is not a shot at Keith, but remember, he's a he's a pretty inexperienced coach when it comes to the NHL level. Um, yeah. You know, and playoffs is a different story. So, at the end of the day, um, you know, you're gonna ride Matthews and Marner. You're gonna ride them. Twenty three and twenty four. They've still got a lot of hockey ahead of them. They're in the playoffs, folks. They're in the playoffs. They just have to find a way to shut shut you know the opponent down when it's a it's a you know a clinching game and overcome Kyle, that mental hurdle too because exactly. i think that's just holding them back too that's, i think past failures and it's just it, it gets the best of them that's all it's going to take that's all it's going to take and kyle dubas said it best when he said i have a tremendous belief in both of them and i think they've shown to everybody what they're capable of over time the story will be different for them in the future in terms of the way they are talked about. And that was the biggest thing. And we talked about, you know, what what these these fans are saying about Marner and his family and whatever else. Uh, you know, we've seen people talk about Matthews and how he's going to walk at the end of his contract to Arizona. And, and maybe he will. Maybe yeah. he will. But that's his choice. And for now, he's a Maple Leaf. And for now, that's who the Leafs are going to ride. And and I, I don't see... I. I don't think they should trade it, either of them. I think those are your two key pieces. You need to ride with them, and you need yeah. to find a way to get it done. And that's it. That you know, simple as that. I do think that the sooner that you lock up Austin Matthews, the sooner that the more that you know. Obviously, they have faith. Obviously, four years from now, three years from now, after this one, 
still some time because he's going to be that UFA at 2020, 20, 24, 25. So, but the sooner that you can get it done, the better. And it, maybe he, maybe he does feel like there's unfinished business here. Maybe he, we've seen how well he loves the city and the fan base. He's talked about it multiple times. Um, I think he, I, 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 I can't speak for him, but I would love to see that if he stays here to the very end, so be it. I would love to see this whole entire group come together and put forth that effort that everybody so desperately wants. Yeah, no, absolutely. Find a way to get it done. Earn that statue outside of the uh, outside of the Scotiabank Arena, um, and, and you will if you're able to, you know, st- you know, remain a Maple Leaf for the entirety of your career. I think that's mm-hmm. something that's definitely attainable. Um, with that, I, you know, obviously Matthews is up for the the Lady Bing and the Ted Lindsay. Do you see him walking away with either award? Uh I'm going to start off first with the Lady Bing. Um, I mean, it's great, obviously great that he's nominated for like both awards, um, given the fact that um, he's going up against uh, Jacob Slavin and Jared Spurgeon. Um, Matthews only had 10 penalty minutes. Slavin only had one minor penalty and Spurgeon had three. Um, given the fact that obviously it could go either way all of them did their best to you know not get as many penalties as possible i think maybe he has it in tough ted Lindsay, um given towards i should i i really don't know off the top of my head most outstanding players voted by the nhl players association award or association Mc- the union mcdavid and Cindy crosby are the other front runners yeah. honestly I, I think it's coming down to both Matthews and McDavid, but I think McDavid takes it based on the season that he had. I mean, the the leadership that he made or the contributions that he made on the ice, it's, it's just hard to deny. Um, he was really outstanding in that regard. I mean, 100 points in 50, 100 plus points in 56 games. I mean, that's that alone itself may just cemented it. Um but the Lady Bing, I mean, I think I think I'm giving it to Slavin. Only one minor penalty. Come on, that's that that in itself is is impressive. So I'm gonna go. I, I I think he has a very good chance of winning the Lady Bing, and and hear me out as to why. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the second consecutive year where he's been nominated for the Lady Bing. True. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I honestly believe like all the credit to Slavin who had, uh, 22 points in, uh, sorry, 15 points in, in 52 games. Um, as you mentioned, one minor penalty. Um, but I think what Matthews was able, what Matthews was able to do to help his French, help his organization, uh, obviously with the 41 goals and 66 points and doing so with only you know, only 10 minutes in penalties. Um, I think there's a lot of, a lot to be said about a guy who can, who can be that much of a force, spend that much time on the ice and still only put up, you know, five minor penalties. So discipline, a a very discipline. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and not only that, but he's a guy who threw his body around a lot more this season. He was extremely physical this year and did so without, 
you know, crossing that line. And and because he's been nominated once before, I just have a small inkling that Matthews could be the Lady Bing award winner. As for the Ted Lindsay, I I do think McDavid will get it because McDavid's gonna gonna take home the heart, obviously, with what he did offensively. I would like to see it where, you know, maybe McDavid gets the heart and Matthews gets the Ted Lindsay, but I, you know, I, I, I don't see it happening. I think it's just a, a it's a compliment to Matthews to eat, just even be nominated for the award, yeah. um, let alone, you know, actually win it. But yeah, it'd be nice to see him take home both. Obviously he took home the, the rocket Richard with his 41 goals, but yeah. Um, finished the season one goal away from from 200 so incredible what he's done over his short nhl career but yeah i think he takes home the lady bing and leaves the ted Lindsay on the table for another first round exit in Connor mcdavid how awesome would it be next season fans in the stadium no masks 200 first game well, I think it's a guarantee he scores 200 in the first game. I, I, I'd like to say it's a guarantee that fans will be there, but... Yeah. Um, I'm just saying, yeah. how awesome would it be? I, I, I'm As soon as tickets go on sale, I'm going to be looking for, uh, for some <laughs> scalper tickets. <laughs> Take my kid to the first his first ever game, and, and Matthew scores 200. There you go. With the Matthews jersey on. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. Um, yeah, no, it, it would be, it'd be great. I I think it'd be incredible again, testament to what he's done in Toronto. I think, um, you know, if, if the Leafs can lock him up long-term, uh, maintain that relationship with him. It starts with us though, as fans, it starts yeah. with us. We are the ones who can really win a guy over. Uh, we are, are the people that can really drive a player out of town. And at this point in time, I think Leafs Nation is really driving players out of town rather than making them want to stay. Yeah. That said, one guy that is really willing to stay and wants to spend the last little bit of his career in Toronto is Jason Spezza. Is he a guy that is worth bringing back? I think I think you know my opinion on it. Um, mm-hmm. I want to know your opinion on, let's say, Thornton, Simmons, um, Spezza, and... Zach Hyman. Um, we do well. We talked about this on the lounge, putting our GM caps on, and Spetsa's the one that I would bring back a hundred percent, no matter what. I mean, what he did—he finished top ten in scoring on the team, thirty points in fifty-four games, playing in a fourth-line role. Um, I had him as a key contributor or a player to watch out for in the playoffs, and he rose to the occasion. I mean, providing strong secondary scoring when he needed to. I mean, when I've said this before, and you said this too, if Dubas is able to sign him to a three to four year deal at 700,000, sign me up. I wanted to see him end his career in Toronto. Simple as that. Thornton and Simmons, it's a different situation. I mean, we saw his age catch up um, during the playoffs. We maybe... um, I, I I just can't I just can't see both of them coming back. Maybe Simmons, but I'll get to that in a second because Thornton um, during this what we saw during the stretch, that physicality, that being engaged in puck battles, and the, the 
the production that was expected down that stretch, it wasn't there in the playoffs. And he created some key turnovers that led to goals against, and it just really wasn't there. He was a step behind. Simmons was brought in to be that physical presence. I did not see that after game three. I did not see that intimidation factor that we saw at certain points during the regular season when they needed a hit or a fight. He was not there. There was nothing. I mean, I would, I would probably bring him back if he's willing, like, if he wants to come back and prove himself again, maybe, but at the same time, I just don't see it. And, um, in regards to Zach Hyman, I believe is the other one, correct? Yeah, Zach Hyman. Ah, uh, I mean, what was reported this week was just rumors. Um, I even remember seeing Terry Koshin from The Sun saying that he talked to an agent, and the agent said that there's been nothing in that regards of that dollar figure for Hyman. So it's up in the air. I just don't want to see this contract situation get ugly. But I obviously I want Hyman back. At honestly, I would not go five million or higher, mainly because he is, um, you know, he is approaching thirty. You know, he's he's twenty eight, going to be twenty nine, uh, actually in a few days, June 9th. So he's going to be twenty nine. If he gets a, I, I would maybe do a four or five year deal but not a five mil. I would probably do four, 4.5, something manageable. That way, if he, you do decide to trade him and move on at some point, the cap hit is relatively reasonable where you don't have to retain salary. And you know what you're getting. Uh, second power play time, top penalty kill, four checker. Um, would have had two career years back-to-back with 37 and 33, but, you know, shortened seasons. Uh, because of the pandemic, um, he is a potential. He is a potential fifty-point guy, maybe even more, slightly. But at five million, if that's the starting point or asking price, I don't know. I, I, that is really tough. But if it's four, four point five, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think you nailed it with Simmons and Thornton. I, do, I don't see them coming back. Um, I, I think, you know, Spezza, like I said, you know, I, I've made my opinion known very, very well. Uh, I think, you know, you sign him to a lifetime contract. This is a guy who, after his playing days are done with the, with the Toronto organization, I think he's got to be brought on in a player development role. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 55 points in 112 games over his Maple Leafs career, uh, 19 goals over that span and averaging just under 11 minutes Per game so what Not he's bad. been able to do in limited playing time is just you know it really is incredible and and he's he's a voice he's a guy who steps up um we saw what he did in the whole john Tavares uh, injury situation mm-hmm. um that's the kind of guy jason spetz is and I, and I think having him around the team is is what they need when it comes to zach hyman i i'm with you i think if you're going to sign him to a four-year deal you're looking at more 4.5 to 5 million if you can get him to sign, let's say a two-year deal, maybe you look past that five million mark because it's such a short-term contract. That said, the Leafs don't have a lot of money to spend, and for me at this point, you got to fill the gaps that you have left in the lineup. 
before you can, you know, really lock it down. So I do think you're going to have some some money to spend. Obviously, you know, Anderson's not coming back. They've made it very clear that Campbell's going to be the guy they run forward with. You know, Matthew said after game seven that, you know, they're going to get it done as a group. That's fine. That's fine. The money's going to be there. But they have to be very, very cautious with how they go about spending their money. And and if you're going to give a guy like Hyman no and no no you know discredit to what Hyman's been able to do over his career but if you're going to give a guy like Hyman more than 5 million you're going to be in trouble and there's a very big likelihood that you're going to be talking about the same storyline come next playoffs um so i i mean i i would love to see Hyman back i really would but as you mentioned he's approaching 30 um He's a guy that, you know, might not have as much left in the tank. We've seen a knee injury from him now. We've seen multiple injuries as he's as he's getting a little, little bit older. He's a guy that would play through anything. But is he a guy that's expendable to get another role player? And that's kind of the question I ask when I'm thinking ahead to this. Is he expendable to, to spend that money on, let's say, two other depth players? Let's say a Blake Coleman. Let's say a, a Barclay Goudreau. Those are guys that are going to be available come this offseason. Should the Leafs go after people like that? It, you know, though that's kind of where my head's at. Um, I think you got to fill a couple spots before you sign Hyman, and that that's really the end of it. This is me doing some quick math right now not including Zach Hyman or Jason Spezza in this because I would love to see them both back on the scene. 15.7 million is the contracts that are being that are up for UFAs. David Riddick, Frederick Anderson, Ben Hutton, Zach Bogosian, Joe Thornton, Gauchenyuk, Felino, Simmons. Um am I missing anybody? Riley Nash. That right there is enough to try and go after possibly a top six, some depth defense, a, a goaltender. Um, if you spread that accordingly, you can easily get, and I mentioned this in, uh, I, I actually, you mentioned Blake Coleman. He's one of the players that I looked up or think that maybe the Maple Leafs should address and bring in some killer instinct. Him, Brandon Saad. Andrew Cogliano, you could get at a, at a cheap $1 million contract for him. Brandon Saad, lighting it up in the playoffs. He may come a little bit more expensive than maybe you would get with Alex Galchenyuk, but you know what you're getting with Brandon Saad and his offensive abilities and his ability to drive to the net with his speed. Um, do you give him the same amount that he's making right now, $5 million. Blake Coleman, I think you could probably get him – just maybe slightly over 1.8, maybe 2.2 to 2.5 is my estimate. If you can bring in another top six, uh, possibly two more depth wingers, for, you could probably fill out some fourth line roles. I know Adam Brooks is probably going to want to, I think he deserves an opportunity right now. Nick Robertson could possibly come up. Um, I, I we we don't know what Rodin Amirov is going to do. I know he's in Toronto skating and practicing. 
Um, is he going to push for a spot? I doubt it. Maybe give him some more time to get used to the North American style, but you have options right now. And I didn't mention, you know, Pierre Edward Belmar. I believe his contract is up. Colorado Avalanche as well. Um, yeah, his contract is up. Uh, okay, me wishful thinking. I would love to try and go after Gabriel Landeskog, but that's why I put Brandon Sod in my uh, piece because of the fact that they're going to spend as much money as they can to try and keep their captain. And Brandon Sod's $5 million, he's going to be off the books, so he's probably going to be looking for work elsewhere. I think Sod, Tavares, and Nylander could be a complimentary second line. But yeah, a lot of options. I think if you, I think Blake Coleman is your priority, given his energy, speed to be that Zach Hyman type of player with the same type of grit and intensity that he plays on the forecheck. But yeah, again, my math could be off, but I came up with 15.7, maybe under, maybe over. I don't know. Again, I'm not good with math. I'm not Brandon Pridham. But man, if you have a fair amount of space like that, you have enough money to plug some holes in certain areas and it's going to go well in your favor. Yeah. I think at this point you just got to fall out of love with your players and, and understand that it, it is a business. Um, and if that means losing a guy like Zach Hyman, I think that's, that's kind of where you go. But I mean, a lot of options out there. It's, it's a, it's a matter of just bringing those guys into Toronto and, and finding a way to get them signed. So uh, it'll be interesting. It, it's going to be an interesting off season to say the least for the Toronto Maple Leafs again, um, as it was this past off season. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on in Leafland. There's a lot going on in, in with the NHL playoffs right now. And let's, uh, let's be honest. Um, all the talk from Leafs nation has given me the idea of starting an off season diary for, for Leafs nation. And, and that's kind of my project over at the Hockey Writers right now. I want to talk about the Marner trade uh, suggestions. I want to talk about the, uh, you know, what they're saying about, you know, do they bring back Morgan Riley? Do they sign Zach Hyman? All that chatter will be discussed in my, you know, um, off-season Maple Leafs diary that I'll have posted every once in a while. That's something I'm very much looking forward to. Mm-hmm. As for you, Peter, what do you have on the go as we head into draft season? Ooh, good thing you brought up draft season because I'm working on my final rankings. Um, not seven rounds. I have a top 165 rounds. I'm still second guessing myself on a lot of names, but I'm hoping to get that out this week. Um, really excited. Uh, the fact that I've Increase, you know, 32 for preseason, 75, 100, and now 160. So I'm really excited to see how this is going to go. First time doing this. Took a part in a couple of mock drafts as well. Um, But yeah, expect my final rankings to come out very shortly. And I just want to go back on the math that I double-checked on the contracts that I did. 15.7. So you have some wiggle room and there's still quite a bit of other contracts at both the Marley's level and on this team as well that I didn't include. So 15.7, get it done. You heard it here first, 
Uh, Maple Leafs get it done. Peter <laughs> is the armchair GM of Sticks in the Six. And as always, jump over to the Hockey Writers. You'll find tons of content. All of our shows on YouTube. Um, latest show is uh, Chicks and Sticks. And they got a lot of great content going when they, where they talk to a lot of the, the women in the game. And, and uh, fantastic stuff done by the ladies over at the Hockey Writers. As for us, um, again, thank you to Mike Ross for joining us today on episode 43. I should mention we did forget to talk about our few players that have worn the number 43 over the years for Toronto. We'll quickly jump into that. Four players, Peter, four players since 1995 have sported the number 43. Can you name those players? I could only pick one and name one, and that's Nazem Kadri. I don't remember anyone else wearing that. That's right. Nazem Kadri from 2010 to 2019 wore the number 43. Before him, it was Jay Harrison from 06 to 09, Nathan Dempsey from 97 to 2002, and the first player in Maple Leafs history to wear number 43, Ken Belanger in 1995. So a little throwback there for us folks. And since we're doing a little throwback, I'm going to throw a quick one over to the tweet of the week for us because this one actually like made me gut-wrenchingly laugh. Um, I'm sure you know which which tweet I'm talking about, but Tessa Bonham uh, tweeted earlier yesterday, serious question for the men out there. Why? Why do you jab... Each, why do you jab each other where the sun don't shine, especially when you know what it feels like? <laughs> I, I mean, I I retweeted it and tagged her in it. She favorited it, um, but it was just it, it really is a, a good question because you see a lot of people do it. You see a lot of guys do it, and you'll wonder what the hell are you doing? Like, you know it hurts. I I don't know. I don't yeah. know. It just—it was one of those things I saw, I read, and I—I I could not want—I couldn't not talk about it. So, there's our tweet of the week. Um, again, as always, thank you to Mike Ross. Thank you uh, all for joining us here for episode 43 of the podcast. You can follow Peter on Twitter at p Barracchini, myself at Andrew G Forbes, or the podcast at Sticks in the Six Pod. S-T-I-X-I-N-T-H-E-6-I-X-P-O-D. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, Make sure you download our latest episode and be sure to subscribe, rate, and review so we can continue to bring you lots of content going forward. We also have a YouTube channel now. We have two videos up there uh, with some of our latest interviews. We've got lots more to come, including our interview with Caleb Dahlgren, Mike Ross, um, you know, Gavin Bryant, who's taking part in the Erie tournament showcase right now. Um, a lot of great content over at that YouTube channel. So check us out on YouTube, make sure you subscribe, make sure you like those videos, comment, get involved in the conversation. We're always here to listen to more until next time though, Peter, enjoy the playoff hockey that, uh, that you're seeing and we'll come back at you next week with more Maple Leafs talk here on Sticks in the Six. You too, man. Have a good one.